I don't know how to transition there, so we're just going to dive in. It's easy for us to think of horrifying, tragic stories of moral failure among leadership, specifically even in the church. Names like Jim Baker and Ted Haggard and Robert Tilton, if you want to go nationally with some of those moral failures. Or I think back, uh, remember talking to Tom Cash about the church that he had left when he came here and the, the issue they had where one of their former youth ministers was arrested for an immoral relationship with a couple of the students. And, and then I think of a church that a friend of mine grew up in that within a matter of a year or two, just this really small span of time, not only did they have an elder and a minister and a deacon, but also a youth minister. Four people in that church had affairs and left the church. Four people in roles of leadership. And, and most recently that I can think of, in West Lafayette, there was a worship minister recently within the past couple of weeks arrested for having inappropriate content on his phone and his computer. We see moral failure around every corner. And I believe that that is intentional on the part of Satan because the damage that is caused by those failures. I think that Satan knows how many people are affected by the moral failure of a leader. Somebody that just shows up once in a while and doesn't really do anything other than walk in, sit down, listen, and leave, their moral failure will affect a few people. But when you get people that are in positions of authority over others and they fail morally, others are dragged down with them. There are people that are hurt. The, the people that they were supposed to care for are hurt. You have non-Christians who become skeptical even more of the church and what the church does. Think about Robert Tilton. If you don't remember him, he was a televangelist, and he would say, hey, sow us your seed of faith. Send us money, and we'll pray for you, and God will answer your prayers. And it was discovered that the envelopes would be opened and the money taken out, and the prayer requests never looked at. And that's the attitude that a lot of non-Christians have towards the church when we pass the offering plate and we say, give, give, give. Because they look time and again at the moral failure and the greed and the pride of those in leadership. When we went to Indy to work with Tear Down the Walls Ministries for a week, the, the guy that was leading the mission was talking about a really fancy church in this neighborhood. It looked really out of place because you have a neighborhood where most of the houses are boarded over on the windows because they've been abandoned. And you've got poverty surrounding you and this really big, fancy church building in the middle of it. And he was telling us how the minister had raised over a million or two million dollars for the church that was supposed to go back into the community and the people just kept giving that money because it was going to go to the community and he left and bought a vacation home in Florida and never came back. I think that Satan knows how many people are hurt by the moral failure of leaders and that is why there's a target on their back. I also believe that this enlarged impact is why we read what we read in James 3.1, where James says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. 
Now, I believe that this, this idea of greater strictness in the judging is twofold because it very much happens when you're a leader. Your family is put under a microscope. Think about it. How many times have you heard said or maybe even said yourself, I can't believe that the minister's kids would do something like that or the elder's kids would do something like that. We expect it from the deacon's kids, but nobody else. So there's that immediate stricter judgment that happens, but I think there's also a stricter judgment when we stand before God because we have influence. And I think that that is why James says this, because God knows even better than Satan the damage that is caused by leaders who lack integrity. We read through 1 Timothy 2, We actually read through verse 6 this morning. But I think that we often look at 1 Timothy's 2, or I often look at 1 Timothy's command to pray for leaders in the sense of national leaders and political leaders. And I think that definitely applies because it says kings. And king is never used in the scope of the church unless it's talking about Christ. But I think that it also applies to church leaders. Because church leaders, all leaders, but church leaders need an incredible amount of prayer because they have tax that they face. If you remember nothing else this morning, I want you to remember that leaders need an incredible amount of prayer. Because there are attacks around every corner. And so we're going to transition into 1 Peter chapter 5 to look at this a little bit. It's, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. It's on page 1016 in your pew Bibles if you would like to turn there. For a long time, I found warning and encouragement from verses 8 and 9 in this chapter, which read this way as you're turning there. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And I found encouragement in that, knowing that we need to stand guard and pay attention because like a lion that just prowls around waiting for some prey, that's what Satan does. But then one day I was reading this and I realized that this context is much bigger in picture and scope. Because the context suggests that this is actually talking to leaders. So let's read verses 1 through 11 of 1 Peter 5. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker and the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, As God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. 
Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the, grace, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. It seems that these 11 verses are directed specifically to the church leaders. Now, when we look at it, it does appear to be that verses 6 through 11 are more general in nature. Those aren't necessarily directed only to the leaders. And in fact, we look at those and go, those are pretty applicable to anybody. Because there are a lot of people that aren't leaders that are suffering. We see Christians around the world who aren't leaders, who are being killed for their faith. But, as we see throughout all of Scripture, and as I was convicted of as we studied through Colossians, the commands and the charge to all Christians is intensified with leaders. I have become convinced, specifically as we studied through Colossians and looking at those things that Paul said, as a Christian, you are to do these things, and realizing that most of those show up in Paul's explanation of requirements for leadership and qualifications for leadership, that that charge to all Christians to have a certain behavior is intensified with leaders because people follow the leader. In fact, one of the things that was pounded into my head through Bible college was people can only grow as deep as the person who is leading them. That should convict us as leaders. The people that you are leading can only go as deep as you are because that's all the farther you can take them. And so I want to look for a moment at these imperatives for the elders. There are eight commands, these statements of do this, that Peter throws out there for those who are in leadership. The first one is in verse 2, actually the first several are in verse 2. He says, shepherd the flock. The first charge to leaders, you are to shepherd the flock. It's not, he doesn't say it would be good for you to take care of the flock. If you have time, shepherd the flock. He says, if you're going to be a leader, you are to shepherd the flock. Some of you are really big fans of the King James. King James says, feed the flock. Elders, feed the flock. That might be why Paul says that if you're going to be an elder, you have to be able to teach because as an elder, it is your job to feed the flock. The next one, serve willingly, not under compulsion. Don't allow people to guilt you in to serving as a leader. Because honestly, if you are guilted into doing it, if you're pressured into doing it, if you don't want to do it, you don't feel called to do it, it's not something that you think God has placed on your life, you are not going to do the job that you were called to do. You're going to be half-hearted about it. And you'll do what's convenient when it's convenient. But you're not going to shepherd and feed and serve because you don't feel called. It is not your duty as a Christian to serve as a leader. It's the duty of those who God has called to that. The next imperative, 
Don't serve for shameful gain. The, the New International Version says, not greedy for money. But I, don't, I think that that shameful gain is a bigger picture than that. <clears throat> because we've seen people, in those examples that I mentioned earlier, not all of them were money, but all of them were shameful. Sometimes it's a, a seizing or a striving for power that is, causes people to desire to serve because then they can control the church and they can make the church what they want it to be. And that's shameful. Sometimes it's shameful because they use their power to manipulate people into doing things that are immoral. Don't serve for shameful gain. The, the next command is don't domineer. Be an example. Don't tell people, I'm a leader. This is what you're to do. Be an example. Set the example. Do what you are wanting other people to do. It does no good as a leader any more than it does as a parent to say, do as I say, not as I do. Because we all know as parents that doesn't work. Your kids are going to grow up to act like you. You grew up to act like your parents often, most of the time. Usually we get mad when someone tells us that because it's the things that we don't like in our parents that they're pointing out. But the reality is, we can't say, do as I say, not as I do. If you want people to do something, you've got to lead by example, which includes spiritual growth. I think of 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, where Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so the question that I would ask for leaders and I do hope that you understand that there are more than just people that are on the board that are leaders. Because most of us have people that are following us. If we're not, we're doing something wrong because we should be pouring our lives into somebody else. But to the leaders, if everyone at West Liberty imitated your spiritual walk, what would the spiritual depth of the church be? If they, if they engaged in study and prayer and spiritual disciplines the way in which you do and with the frequency in which you do, what would be the spiritual depth of the church? I would recommend that that's probably the reality because you can't lead people any deeper than what you are. The next command, he actually repeats this one twice in verses five and six, be humble. He, he gives it as a command to all, but it is repeated twice, and I find that interesting because I think humility covers a lot of this because all of those previous things, we're not going to serve for shameful gain, we're not going to domineer, we're not going to do it under compulsion, and we're going to shepherd if we're being humble. It's a lack of humility that causes us to disobey those other ones. And so it's interesting to me that when qualifications for leadership are discussed, pride often isn't. We, we often don't look at this passage where it says to be a leader, you need to be humble. But 
I think this is important because I would think, I think that pride is quite possibly the number one attack of Satan against the church. I don't know that there's a bigger attack that Satan makes on the church than pride. And we see it everywhere. The Protestant pride that they're not Catholics. We're better than them. Or the Catholic pride that they're part of the mother church. Or the pride that we follow Jesus' commands to take communion every week completely. It's interesting to me because Peter reminds us of Proverbs 3.34, which says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Ironically, that passage is also quoted in James chapter 4, verse 6. Twice, that proverb is quoted in the New Testament, directed at the church. But think about it. This is why I think that it is the possibly the number one attack against the church. Because if it is true what God writes in Proverbs through the author, that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble, which is repeated twice in the New Testament, then what better attack for Satan to make against God's church than to have church leaders filled with pride? Because if God opposes the proud and church leaders are prideful, then God opposes those leaders, which in turn trickles down to the body. We have to guard ourselves against pride because it undermines everything we do. It undermines our witness because people don't want to talk to somebody that's prideful. Think about the last time you saw someone walking toward you that you knew was really arrogant in their conversation. Your natural reaction isn't excitement that you get to talk to them. You want to run the other way. The, the next imperative, number six, if you're keeping count, cast all of your anxieties on him. I think this is interesting that this is included in this discussion with church leaders. Uh, because if you've ever been in any kind of leadership role in the church, you know that it is not easy to serve the bride of Christ. There's a reason that people say sheep bite. As a leader, you will face discouragement and disappointment and personal attacks from Satan and from the very people that you are trying to lead. And it's not easy. The only way to survive is to bring those to God. Because if you don't, I promise they will destroy you. I think they fuel Satan's attacks as well. I think that's why we have to be alert and watchful because Satan is waiting for a time in which we are vulnerable in order to pounce on us. And I don't know that we're ever more vulnerable than when we're disappointed and attacked and discouraged and knocked down. And if we don't turn to God and put those anxieties on him, we will not survive serving the church. I honestly think that that's the reason that there is a lot of moral failure in leadership. I think it's really complicated, but I think sometimes it's just the easy way out. Don't have to deal with that anymore. 
And Satan is throwing it at you because you're disappointed and you're discouraged and you're down. And because you're disappointed and discouraged and you're down, you resort to easy comforts rather than turning to God. And so then we're neglecting our spiritual life and we open that door for Satan to pounce. Number seven, be sober-minded and watchful because Satan is waiting for a prime opportunity to attack. This command sounds a lot like Genesis 4 where God talks to Cain. Cain and Abel offer their sacrifice God accepts Abel's but doesn't accept Cain's and Cain is dejected. And God says, Cain, why are you dejected? If you do what is right, it'll be okay, but you better be alert because your enemy is waiting like a lion ready to devour you. And the next thing we see is Cain goes out and murders his brother in a field. This is why I say what I say about casting your anxieties on him. Because Cain was, among other things, he was disappointed that he was rejected. It may have been his own fault and his own laziness, but he still was disappointed that he was rejected. And rather than turning to God with that, he turned into himself. And he pushed away from God. And he murdered his brother. We have to be alert and watchful. Number eight, the last imperative, resist Satan. I I think James's connection here is interesting. I'm going to read verses six through eight of chapter four in James. I added this after I did the slides. So it's James chapter four, verses six through eight. This is what James says, but he, God, gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves to God, therefore. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Did you notice that? In that context of talking about God opposing the proud and giving grace to the humble, James says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit to God. It's the same thing Peter says. We have got to resist Satan. We need to remember that though we will face attacks and they are going to intensify if you have some role of leadership, when we resist, Satan flees. I'm saying all of this not to have a heavy hand upon leaders. In fact, it's really hard for me to read things like this because I look at my own life and my own shortcomings in these areas. But I say this because you as a congregation, you need to know that your leaders need an incredible amount of prayer. Because in leadership, they are facing attack all the time. And so, as we've been doing, we are going to pray First, I want to encourage you to pray for leaders. Spend some time. Can you put that next prompt up, please? Thanks. Pray that people would sense and submit to God's call to leadership. 
I have that same idea in mind of praying for workers for the harvest, as Jesus says. God has called some people to leadership and others he hasn't, but prayed that those that he has, they would sense that call and submit. Lord, I pray that you would make it clear to those who you have called. I pray that they would sense that call to leadership. I pray that they would not be able to run from it, that you would be persistent as you always are. Make it clear to us the gifts that you have given us and the things to which you have called us to serve. Amen. Next, I want to encourage you to pray that the leaders would serve in the way that God has called them. I I included those things that were on the screen a minute ago, a few of them, that they would shepherd, that they would do it willingly, that it wouldn't be for shameful gain, that it wouldn't be domineering, and that they would set an example. Spend a moment praying about those. Father, I'm sure that many of us have names that come to mind when we think of people that exemplify these characteristics and maybe even some that come to mind that exemplify the opposite of what you've called as a leader. I pray for the leaders here at West Liberty, for Jeff and Dale and Mark and Dave, for Jimmy and Rob and Larry and Russell and Brian and myself. I pray that we would serve with the hearts that you have called us to. I pray that we would shepherd and feed and nurture the way that you want. I pray that we would do it willingly and not because we feel like we have to out of some sense of duty. I pray that it would be a selfless service, that it wouldn't be for some sort of gain on our own, that we would be submissive and not domineering, and that we would set an example and we could say with Paul, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So that we can lead the way you have called us to lead and we can nourish your people the way you've called us to. Amen. Because I do think it's probably the number one tack against the church, I want to encourage you to pray that the leaders would have godly humility.
Lord, we know that your word says that you oppose the proud. May you rid us of all pride. May all of us have the same attitude as Christ, considering each other better than ourselves and more important than ourselves. May our service and our decisions and our example be done in humility and not pride. I pray that we would not be people that you are against. Give us the strength to stand up against this attack from Satan. Amen. Finally, I want to encourage you to pray that leaders would be sober-minded and watchful, resisting Satan and casting their anxieties on God. It's easy for us to look around and see what happens when these things aren't done. And so I want to encourage you to spend some time praying for your leaders. Father, I pray that we would recognize our weaknesses, that we would recognize those areas in which Satan can get a foothold. May we not think that we are above moral failure. I know that many here view Billy Graham as a hero in the faith, and I'm reminded of the story of his grandson who recently resigned from his church because of an affair that he had. And we think of the numerous people across the nation and across the world who people thought were beyond having those struggles and beyond those temptations and beyond those faults who continue to fall every day. I pray that we would be sober-minded and watchful, that when we, we, we would be so watchful that we see temptation coming and when we do, we resist Satan I pray that we would find strength to do that as we turn to you with our disappointments and our discouragements and our frustrations and our, our depressions when we're attacked, that we would hand those things to you so that you can handle them and we don't try to cope by ourselves, thus giving Satan an opportunity to attack. Give your leaders the strength that they need. Amen. Leaders need an incredible amount of prayer. I I don't know how else to say it. I, I believe wholeheartedly that Satan is attacking the church from the top. And as a leader, those who are in leadership will either help or hinder the cause of Christ. I should say they will either help the cause of Christ or they will advance the cause of Satan. 
because it's one or the other. And so if we truly want the kingdom of Christ to grow in the world and we want people to be reached and people to be saved, we must be praying for the leaders of Christ's body. Not just this congregation, but worldwide. And I I know that some really struggle with anybody that's not a restoration movement, Christian church, church of Christ. You don't want to hear about the Baptists or the Pentecostals or the Methodists or the Presbyterians or the Lutherans or, heaven forbid, the Catholics. But you need to be praying for all of those people. Because let me tell you something, when when that issue came about with the Catholic Church 10, 15 years ago, and there was the big scandal. It wasn't just the Catholic Church that was hurt. The integrity of Christ worldwide, even our churches, was hindered because of that. And if you think that it's not important to pray for those leaders, you're fooling yourself. Because no matter what your theological frustrations and hang-ups are with those other denominations and other churches, non-Christians see all of them just as Christians. They don't care what label there is. All they see is another minister or another elder or another leader did something dumb and immoral and took advantage of somebody. They don't care what denomination they are. So just as much as you need to be praying for the leaders here, you need to be praying for the leaders worldwide. Because they will either be helping or hindering the cause of Christ. And if you want God's kingdom to come here on earth now, you've got to be praying for that. Let's close. Lord, I pray that as we leave, we would understand the amount of prayer that leaders need. I pray that you would broaden our focus And that we wouldn't just pray for those in our brotherhood, but we would pray for leaders worldwide that are doing your work. I pray that we would understand that those outside the church don't see the divisions that we see as far as groups. They see the divisions, but they don't see that this was a Methodist issue or a Baptist issue or Church of Christ issue. They just see it as the church. And so I pray for leaders across the world, no matter their denomination, I pray that you would give them the strength to be who you have called them to be. And that they would lead by example and could say with Paul, imitate me as I imitate Christ. We thank you for the example of humility and love and grace and mercy that we have in Christ. I pray that we would be able to reflect that as well. That's in his name we pray. Amen.